Got your Bible today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Finished up our series in Philippians and went verse by verse there and enjoyed all that, learning to have joy in any circumstance. I hope those principles are rooted deep in our hearts today, what we learned from the Apostle Paul. But I feel the Lord just having a shift here. Going to do a a topical study on the topic of repentance. And so uh, looking at Acts 3 today, I have uh, just many uh, parts to this series. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to get to them all, but we're going to start here today in Acts chapter 3 as our kind of our central verse here in verse 19. I'm going to thank God for the word. Then we're going to jump in and discover everything we ever wanted to know and maybe some things we didn't want to know about repentance. Father, I thank you today for the power of your word and for the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up the word to us today. You would help us to see uh, between the lines and, Father, to discover all those truths that you've tucked in there for those who seek you with their whole hearts. Lord God, teach us about repentance today and about the importance of it about the centrality of how repentance plays a role in our Christian walk. Father, I thank you in advance that you're going to transform our thinking and our hearts according to the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. A short, powerful verse. Let me just give it to you one more time and they'll unpack it together. Therefore, repent and return. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. Some translations say blotted out. In order, why? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, God wants to refresh us. Is that good news to anybody? God wants to restore us, all the things that we've lost over time, uh, all the things that we, we have uh, maybe walked away from, hopes and dreams, things that have been eroded in us. God wants to refresh and restore us. He wants to bring times of refreshing to his people. Someone say amen. But the truth is the mechanism that gets there is repentance. It says repent and return. Notice that, that there's a repentance, but there's an action that's... Uh, linked to it, and that is that we're returning to who? To the Lord, to the things of God, to the discipline of our spiritual walk. Repent and return. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. We're going to see repentance is not our enemy, it's our friend. How many like to have their sins blotted out, wiped out, erased, amen? If Central Hudson called you today and said, we're going to wipe out your bill, we're going to blot out your account, would you, some, some of you get, you know, Pentecostal, you'd start dancing around. Amen. Well, the word of God is saying here that he wants to wipe out sins. How? Through repentance and us returning to the things of God. Uh, That times of refreshing. I don't know about you, but I need to be refreshed. I need the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When you're young and you're full of energy and grit and, you know, you can just, you don't even need to be refreshed. You don't even want to sleep. I'm way past that. That ship sailed. I need refreshing. Anyone need refreshing this morning? Amen. Well, repentance is the key here. Now, I want to start off by saying repentance has been at the heart of the gospel message 
from the beginning. Some people think, oh, repentance, that's just for people who don't know Jesus and haven't, you know, been born again. And repentance is when pastor gives an altar call and they raise their hand or maybe they come up to the altar and they cry a little bit and they say they're sorry for their sins and that's repentance. And once you've done that, you're born again and there's no need for repentance anymore. The truth is that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to repentance. Yes, it's for the lost, but it's also for the saved, amen. Repentance is part of our Christian walk. It should be part of our Christian lifestyle. And it has been at the heart of the gospel message since the beginning. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 1 through 2, he says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's this John. He's a wild man. He, he takes a Nazarite vow. He doesn't drink wine. He doesn't cut his hair. He's got long hair. He's got a big beard. He's wearing camel hair. He eats locusts and wild honey, and he's in the desert. What a wild character John is, amen? And then what does he come? What's his message? Verse 2 says, and he's saying, here's the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message as a forerunner of Jesus Christ, John just prepared the way of the Lord. He's just saying, hey, everybody, wake up. Be in tune spiritually. The Messiah is coming, and your job right now is to get your life in order by repenting, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even before Jesus showed up in his ministry, John is preparing the way, and the message is repentance. How about Jesus' message? Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message was repent. Jesus' message was repent. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's at hand. And repentance is how we get into the kingdom. All of us, when we were lost in our sins, we were in the kingdom of this world. We needed to be translated from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. And repentance was the mechanism that got us there. So John preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Well, you say, well, Jesus is here. He's done his thing. He's risen from the dead. There's no need anymore. Peter's message in the New Testament to the early church, it was in Acts 3, 19 through 20. Uh, Peter, just a simple fisherman filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching at Solomon's portico. His message is this, repent, therefore, and be converted. Did you hear that? Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. So everyone on the scene here since the inception of the church preached repentance as the core of their message. Repentance is not an afterthought. It's not an add-on. It is the core of the gospel message. Many times, you know, we can know a word, but really not know the definition of it. How many of you are honest enough in church to admit that? Yeah, I know some big words, don't know what they mean, but I can use them in a sentence. <laughs> really? I mean, it sounds good, right? And we need to really know what repentance means, what it is. When we look in the New Testament here, the primary Greek word used in the New Testament for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia means a change of former thinking, a change of mind. Now, I want you to hear that word former. When you look at the Greek of metanoia there, it's a change of former thinking, meaning I used to think this way, but now I think a different way. 
I, I used to feel this way, but now I feel this way. How many can relate with that as being Christians? Before, man, we had a whole different thought process than what we had now. We used to think this was good and that was fun and you should pursue that. And then you get saved and go, whoa, I don't want none of that anymore. I want to get rid of that. I want to get away from that. I want, I want more of Jesus, amen. So the, repentance brings this change of thought process from a former thinking to a new way of thinking. Repentance, metanoia, means that, you know, we have a changed mind. How many know the older you get and the more set you get in your ways, the harder it is for someone to change your mind? Come on, come on. Did you ever argue with a stubborn old codger? You could show them in black and white. You could show them. You could prove. You could have videos. You could have, you know, you could show them. No, 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 no. People would rather just stay wrong than admit they've been fooled. People would rather just be believe what they always believe rather than to change their mind. Repentance is a change of former thought process. It is a change of mind. And I want you to clue on in into the word there, metanoia, change. We have got to change in order to repent. Now, it's easy for us to express on some level, you know, faith towards God or accountability. Most of us are humble enough that even when we weren't saved, we realized that, you know, we were sorry about our sins. We were sorry about the things we did to offend others and to offend God. But you know what? You can be sorry and you can feel bad, and that still falls short of actually what repentance is. Repentance is more than just feeling bad or feeling a little conviction or feeling a little sorry. Repentance means that there is a change. Not only am I convicted and I'm sorry, but I never want to do that again, God, and I want you to change me so that I don't do that ever again. Amen? That, that's repentance. You know, and all of us, you know, we can express this little brokenness before God, but then go right back to doing what we did and never solve the problem. It's kind of like, you know, when you're married and you have a, a, a fight with your spouse and you hurt each other and you argue and you say some things that you should have never said. And then all of a sudden the temperature in the household falls below the temperature in Antarctica. I mean, it's cold with, with a capital C. It's nonverbal cold. It's passing each other in the hallway like you don't see each other cold. You ever notice as married people or, you know, in a relationship where you have a situation like that, many times the situation resolves itself without anybody saying they're sorry. You know, someone just smiles at the other person. You bring them like an offering of chocolate or something. And nobody says they're sorry, but, but both of you just let it go when you get over it. And the truth is nothing was resolved. Because unless we can say, I'm sorry I did that to you, I was wrong, forgive me, and, and I don't want to do that again. And listen, unless that happens, that, that's not really repentance. A lot of us do that with God. We mess up, we sin, we get in trouble, it's, it gets ugly, and we ignore God, and we don't want to face him, and we don't want to admit it. And after a while, the, the sting of it and the pang of it goes away, and we just keep going on with life. Repentance means that we change our mind, that we change our thinking, that it's more than just, you know, well, sorry and please forgive. No, there's got to be a change. Many times I've illustrated repentance like this, you know, that turning around that repentance. We're going the wrong way. We're, we're pursuing sinful things and we know they're not pleasing to God. And we repent and we, we repent like this. You went too far. Repentance is not just doing a spin. It's turning this way and then going in the opposite direction from those things that drew us away from God and going to God, amen? 
We shouldn't try and figure out how close we could live to the line and still be saved. We should get as far away from the line as possible, amen. We should run to Jesus, amen. We should run to the Lord. And we should leave that stuff so far behind, we don't even know how to get back there. So repentance, that change of thinking, that change of former thought, that change of mind, metanoia, that's what the Lord is requiring of us here. Repentance is more than what many people think it is. And I want to cover a few things that we need to really consider when we think about repentance and if we've done it or not. Repentance is more than just believing there's a God. Well, I believe in God, but that doesn't make you saved. Well, I believe in God. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Repentance is more than just believing in God. It's got to go past that. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So if you just believe that there's a God and you say that you're spiritual, but you haven't repented of your sin and come to Jesus, even the demons believe. Listen, and they're more fearful of God than humans are, amen? Humans are incredibly disrespectful and dismissive to God. A demon would never dare come into God's presence and disrespect or dishonor him. It's quiet now. I got up early. He just told me I'm worse than the devil. Repentance is more than just believing there's a God. Number two, repentance is more than just admitting we've sinned. You know, there are some people who are really good at admitting their sin, but they have no intention of changing the fact that they sin. You remember Saul in the Old Testament? He was really good at admitting he had sinned. In fact, he would do it routinely. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, it says, Then Saul said, I have sinned, and I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people more than God and obeyed their voice. Here is Samuel. He's the prophet. And, uh, you know, here's Saul coming to him and saying, I've sinned. I I listen to the people instead of God, and I'm wrong. And he's almost kind of theatrical about it. He's almost kind of he's enjoying the you know the the uh, the brokenness of it in a in a superficial way. But you know what he did when he after he admitted sin, he continued to do that same thing. Also in 1 Samuel 26, remember David was anointed king and and Saul was still on the throne and Saul was hunting down David like a dog to kill him. David catches up with him and he finds him asleep in a tent and he he goes in and, you know, he could have killed Saul, pinned him to the ground with his spear, but instead he doesn't and he leaves him and he just takes, you know, his his stuff from him. And this is Saul's response. He says, David, I have sinned. Return, my son, David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes. This day, indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Wow. Saul is a good repenter, isn't he? He really got a knack for this. But you know what he did after David spared him and he hunted him? He went home for a little while and then he's like, nah, I'm going to go get that guy. And he hunted him down again. So... Repentance is more than just, you know, uh, feeling sorry or admitting that we're wrong or just acknowledging our sin. It's got to go beyond that. Repentance is turning from sin with the intention of not going back to it. Let me say that again. Repentance is turning from sin with the intention of not going back to it. Jesus in 
John 8, he dealt with this woman caught in the act of adultery. He, 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 they dragged this woman out, and they're going to stone her. They've got rocks in their hand. You know, always what I find interesting about this story is that the woman is going to be stoned for adultery according to the Mosaic law, but she's all alone. How did she commit adultery by herself? Where, where's the other person? So there's stunning hypocrisy here to begin with. She's drug out. They're going to stone her. Jesus kneels over and he starts writing in the sand. The Bible doesn't say what he wrote, but one by one, the people watching Jesus start, drop their rocks and walk away. Maybe he was writing down their sins. Maybe he was writing down the people they sinned with. Maybe he was writing down the names of people they committed adultery with. Whatever it was, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And the lady's like, uh, they're not here. And he goes, well, you know, I don't condemn you either. But he says this to her, go and sin no more. Well, why did Jesus have to say that? Why didn't he just say, you're forgiven, go on your way, those guys were hypocrites? No, he says, go and sin no more. Because when we go with the intention of sinning no more, that constitutes real repentance. Real repentance that can save our souls from hell. Listen, if that woman went right back into adultery after Jesus spared her, you, you know, that was all for naught. Because unless we have a change of heart and a change of mind, unless we repent with the idea of, I don't want to go back to that. Now, listen, all of us have repented of sin that we went back to. Can we just be honest in church on Sunday morning? Have you ever been broken before the Lord? Have you ever been sorry, really sorry, honestly sincere? And God, I don't want to do this anymore, and only to go back to it again. God's a God of second chances. God's a merciful God. God's a God who forgives. 70 times 7 is what he asks for us, and he does it more for us. Listen, all of us, but it's the heart, it's the intention. God, I don't want to do this anymore. Repentance, change my mind, change my heart so that my actions change, so that my behavior changes. Go and sin no more, Jesus said. How does repentance factor in with salvation because that's important here. The two of them work hand in hand together. Repentance always precedes salvation. Let that settle in for a second. Well, you know, I got saved and I was spiritual and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I was doing this and that and then I repented. Absolutely not. There is no salvation without repentance. Repentance always precedes salvation. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the biblical pattern there. Repentance, salvation, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, a changed life. We have to repent in order to be saved. Churches that teach you can repent ceremonially, you can repent just by going through a ritual. Uh, churches that teach conversion without repentance are producing unconverted churchgoers who are religious and lost. How many of you sat in a church for years that never told you you needed to repent? You just had to go through a ritual. You just had to go get sprinkled. You got to get dunked. You had to get smacked. You had to do something, everything but repent. And you sat there all that time, and, and at some point, the Holy Spirit showed you you were religious and lost, and you needed to be born again. Come on, raise your hand if that's your clap and raise and amen, whatever we're doing today. But that, that was my experience. When I figured that, I'm like, I sat here all these years listening to this. 
And I still, I'm still not right. I went through all your rituals. I did what you said to do. And I still don't know Jesus. I'm not born again. Absolutely. Because repentance always precedes salvation. And conversion without repentance is unbiblical. It only produces people who are religious and lost. So it's crucial that we understand repentance because it's what gets us in the kingdom of God. Repentance is not the byproduct of man's goodness or grit. You're taking notes today. Repentance is not, oh, well, I repented because, you know, I'm really spiritual and I'm one of God's favorite, and I just, you know, I didn't want to be sinful anymore, so I just, you know, I, I forced myself. And re- No, repentance is not the result of man's efforts. None of us are here today because we are good and special and holy and God's favorite. All of us are here because of the grace of God. Repentance is not the byproduct of man's determination, his grit, his goodness, his desire to be forgiven. No, repentance, when it boils down to it, is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today, Acts 11:18, we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. This is a topical study, so we need to, we need to understand what the Bible says in its entirety. Acts 11:18. 2 Timothy 2.25, both of those scriptures reveal that it's God who grants a person or a group of people such as the Gentiles the ability to see spiritual truth and repent. The only reason any of us repented and got saved is because God granted us the ability to see that we were lost and the Holy Spirit drew us in to a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's not our own doing. It's absolutely 100% the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, amen? Repentance, when it boils down to it, is a gift. It's God who grants us it. It's God who opens our eyes. How many people remember the day that the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes and you could see that you were lost and you were a sinner and you needed a Savior? Come on, he did it for the Apostle Paul. He knocked him down in the desert. Paul thought he was the man. He had all the spiritual accolades. He was was a big shot in the Jewish community. But God knocked him down on the ground and closed his eyes and showed him his blindness and his loss. And then he opened his eyes and he filled them with the Spirit of God and he became the greatest apostle who ever lived, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, who led the Gentiles to Christ, who set pillars of doctrinal theology in the scriptures through the Pauline apostles. God took a zero who was murdering Christians, who was lost and blind and religious, and turned him into the most powerful apostle ever to walk the face of the earth. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Woo, someone say amen. amen. Tim Chester in his book, The Good Company, tells the story of a woman named Hannah. Hannah was one of his co-workers, and she loved to spend time with them and their congregation, but she found the gospel message just to be weird. How many people before you came to know Jesus thought them Christians were just a little weird? Amen. Now you're just as weird as us. God bless you. We did Bible studies with Hannah. She looked at us as if we were crazy. We would read about Jesus walking on the water or raising the dead or ascending into heaven. And she would say, do you really believe that? Later, she told us that she thought we were crazy, but kept telling herself, these people hold down jobs. They got to be somewhat normal. One day, one of the members of our church challenged her, don't wait until all your questions have been answered. Just ask yourself, can you trust Jesus or not? 
Hannah went home, and she describes how she was sitting on the floor in her living room, and suddenly she knew that she knew that she knew it was all true. In that moment, she became a Christian. What happened to her as she sat on the floor in her living room? The Holy Spirit came to her and came upon her. There was no shining light. There was no audible voice. The Holy Spirit came. He answered the questions of her heart, and he granted her the ability to see spiritual things, and she had faith in Jesus, and she was saved that day. What God did for Hannah, God has done for all of us. He's revealed himself to us. He's opened our eyes. He's allowed us to see spiritual truth in our need for a savior, in our need for repentance. Such a powerful thing. So at this point, I'm thinking, we all understand how repentance relates to those who are lost and need to be born again. But maybe we think, why would God's people have to repent? The truth is that in his word, God speaks to his people about repentance almost more than he does to the lost. He's always trying to get the Hebrews to repent, the Israelites to repent, the churches to repent. I mean, if you look at 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Corinthians were wild, out of control. Come on, anybody read your Bible? Anybody see the, the, the topics they cover in there? Oh, my goodness, they were, they were crazy. And God's remedy was always repent, 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 repent. In the book of Revelation, to, to the churches, almost all of them, he says, repent, repent, repent. We're going to cover some of those things that Jesus talked to the churches about in Revelation. God willing, when we get to those phases in our study and see what the, what the Spirit of God was telling the churches to repent of because there's still things we need to repent of today. So we get it. People who are lost need to know Jesus. They need to repent. But there's also a component where repentance is for God's people. Why would God's people who are saved, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who are believers, church attenders, filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of God, why would they need to repent? Well, the answer is simple, because we all still sin. We still resist God. We still buck against his will. We still ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. We still get sloppy about keeping the commands of Jesus. We still hurt one another. We still defraud one another. We're still selfish. Look, and I'm not, maybe I'm not talking about anybody but me today. Maybe I should just say, I'm still, and I'm still, and I'm still. And you could say, amen, we've been praying for you. <laughs> but the truth is, every one of us in here especially including me, are sinners and still sin. And because we still sin, there's only one remedy for sin, that we would repent of our sin before God and allow him to cleanse us of our own unrighteousness. Now listen to this. Pretending we do not sin is not a smart option. How many would just admit it's more comfortable to pretend that we don't sin or to pretend that when we do, there are only little tiny sins? You know, people are confessing sins of addiction and immorality and stuff, and it said, well, I had a bad attitude towards my wife one day last month. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> it's easy. To, man, you got to see your faces right now. <laughs> don't look at him. Don't look at him. He'll stop if you don't look at him. We all still sin, and it's just reality, amen? And pretending that we don't is utter foolishness. We're not fooling God. We're not fooling uh, other people. They know, you know, I can pretend I'm not sinning, and Kim be like, oh, yeah, he does, uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> so 
that's not the route to go. And some people go that route. 1 John 1, 8 and, and 1, 10, tell us why it's foolish to do this. It says here in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. You're just kidding yourself, buddy. You're deceiving yourself, ma'am. And the truth is not in us. Listen to verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So this I don't sin anymore thing is just a foolish approach to dealing with the, the, the issues of our life. Why? Because until we can admit that we sin, we can't repent of our sin and we can't be restored from the effects of sin on our life. Oh, isn't it a wonderful day to just come to church and sin, 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 sin. The, the good news is that Jesus is the remedy. He's the remedy. So don't pretend that you don't. Don't make Jesus out to be a liar. Don't kid yourself. Deal with the issues head on. Bring them before the Lord and repent of them. Sin that we refuse to repent of will hurt us in four ways. The first way that sin that is not repented of hurts us is this. It hurts us personally. Now, most of us get that our sin hurts us personally. Romans 6.23 says this. The wages of sin are what? Say it loud. Yeah, the wages of sin are death. And so when we, oh, well, that's only for unbelievers, pastor. Once, you know, once we're Christians and we sin, it's under the blood and it's no big deal and God forgives us even without saying anything. No, all sin produces death. When I was lost and I lied, it produced something in my life unfavorable. And I'm saved and I lie, it will produce the same thing. Why? Because the wages of sin are death. It's a spiritual law. So when I sin, uh, I reap death. Now, listen to me. If you're a Christian and you sin and you won't confess it, you won't lose your salvation because that's a free gift from God. Someone say, thank God. But the truth is that we reap death in the areas of our life where it's unnecessary. We reap death in our relationships, in our emotions, in our finances, in our bodies. There's people who are sick, not because Jesus doesn't heal, because they refuse to repent and they're in sin. There's people whose finances are destroyed, not because God isn't faithful to provide. It's because they're in sin and they won't prevent. Do, do I have to keep going here? Our sin hurts us, and we should never pretend that, well, I'm a Christian, I can sin with impunity. No, we're still going to reap some level of death in our life, and it's unnecessary, and we don't need it. Let's say amen. amen. Sin hurts us personally. Number two, our sin hurts those around us. When the devil tells us uh, to do something and he tempts us, he never advertises the fact that our sin is going to hurt more than just us. He hides that. The truth is our sin has a ripple effect and it affects everyone close to us in our lives. Listen, someone who's a drug addict or an alcoholic or, or uh, addicted to pornography or in adultery uh, or whatever they're in, that doesn't just hurt them personally. That is going to hurt their spouse. That's going to hurt their children. That's going to hurt their family. When it comes out, and it always comes out, Oh, well, you know, it's just on me. It's just between me and God. None of us sin in a vacuum. Think about that alcoholic, their spouse. Think about their children. Damage. There's all this damage that occurs. And the enemy's like, ah, oh, no one will know. God will forgive you. It's no big deal. And it's like throwing a boulder in the pond, that ripple effect that goes all across. It touches everyone close to us. 
So our sin hurts us. It hurts those around us. Number three, our sin hurts the body of Christ. Think about the preachers who fell to sexual immorality in the 80s and 90s. I bet we can name off a bunch of them here this morning. What do you think the effect of their immorality had upon the church, upon the body of Christ? Come on. It's ugly. It's damaging. It caused so many people to say, ah, those Christians, those hypocrites. It caused the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shamed. Now, I'm not mentioning any names because, you know, we're not here to beat up on people who make mistakes. You think, well, I would never do that in that position. You weren't in that position. When you get to higher levels, you face higher devils, and the enemy attacks you in ways that you, you and I have no idea, these people who are visible. Why? Because he knows if he brings down the shepherd, he can scatter the sheep. And the more visible you are in the kingdom of God, the more the enemy targets you for destruction. So let's not be judgmental of others and say what we would do. Let's have grace as God has grace, but realize at the same time, we don't want to be even close to do any of that nonsense because it shames us, it shames our families, it shames our churches, it shames the body of Christ, it shames the gospel. Sin has an effect on everything. It touches everything. None of us sin in a vacuum. First John... Uh, 8 and 9 tells us that our sin actually hurts our relationship with God. And that's the final point I want to make here. Our sin hurts us personally. It hurts those around us. It hurts the body of Christ. But it is incredibly destructive to our relationship with God. God and, and I and God and you uh, can have an intimate relationship together. But sin can easily get in between us and destroy that relationship. 1 John 8 and 9 tells us exactly what we should do with our sin when we have sin that's between us and God. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just so that he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that sound like a good deal? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the remedy for sin that gets between us and God is to confess it. You've heard about the proverbial elephant in the room, right? You know, two people have an issue, two people need to have things resolved, and what do they do? They ignore the issue, and it's obvious to everyone, and it's obvious to them, it's the proverbial elephant in the room. Well, sin is exactly that when it's between us and God, when we've given ourselves over to something that we know is not pleasing to God. We're in bondage to it. It could be drugs, alcohol, pornography, immorality, adultery, whatever it is. You know, I'm naming off the big ones, and you're like, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. But whatever it is that gets between you and God, it's got to be removed. And repentance is the only thing that removes it. Denial doesn't move it. Well, I didn't sin. It wasn't my fault. It was my parents' fault. My, my mom didn't hug me enough. Yeah, she hugged me enough. We blame it on other things. We blame it on other people. We make excuses, but that still doesn't make it go away. Only confession does. When we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What? So that that obstacle can be removed from our lives and our fellowship with God can be restored. If there's something between you and God this morning that's keeping him at arm's length from you, don't let it stay another day. Confess it. Repent of it. Allow God to remove it and bring restoration to your relationship. 
We need to stop seeing repentance as something shameful or something to be avoided at all costs. Because, you know, well, if I repent, it's an admission of guilt or weakness or a lack of spirituality. We need to see repentance as a spiritual weapon. We need to see repentance as a spiritual wrecking ball that has the ability to level everything that gets between us and God. Amen? it's a good thing to repent. Why? Because then God brings in all his rich grace and mercy and he restores the things that the enemy tried to destroy. Don't let sin stand between you and God. Confess it. Repent of it. And watch him put back together all the things that sin tried to destroy. Let's bow our heads today. God willing, in the days ahead, we are going to look at the reasons Christians would need to repent. We're going to look at the book of Revelation and what Jesus said to the churches. We're going to unpack all of those things. But remember, metanoia, it's a change from the former thought. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. And repentance is our friend. It's our spiritual weapon. It can bring the restoration and forgiveness of God in, or it can hold it back if we refuse to avail ourselves of it. Father, I thank you this morning for this word. I thank you for the people of God and the house of God today. I thank you for loving us enough to speak truth to us. And Father, I pray that if there's anything in our lives where we need to repent immediately, Father, I pray that we would find a place that would grant us the gift of repentance, that we would respond to the conviction by confessing and repenting, genuinely repenting, not wanting to go back and do it again, but asking for freedom in Jesus Christ. God, do it for every one of us today, for all my brothers and sisters. Let there be nothing between us and our God. We pray it in Jesus' name.